It's time to write a new story. This is Success Stories with Madison Piper. It's the place where women discuss how to make an impact. Here's your host, Madison Piper. Sometimes when we think of a doctor, we don't necessarily think of someone who has a huge social media presence, someone who helps people all around the world, not just in their office, through the power of platforms like TikTok or YouTube. But today's guest does just that because today we are bringing in fertility expert and well-known doctor, Dr. Natalie Crawford. Now, Dr. Natalie Crawford helps women everywhere. She inspires hope in these women along their fertility journey and also educates women on everything having to do with their own bodies. But Natalie wasn't always a fertility expert. She actually started off in emergency medicine, but her own story inspired her to live the purpose that she has today. So today we bring in Dr. Crawford to discuss her journey, to discuss the wonders of the female body, and to discuss why she has made it her purpose to help women all over the globe. Dr. Crawford, thank you so much for joining us here today. We are so happy to have you here in Success Stories. Thank you so much for having me. Such an honor to be here. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you because I know that you've made an impact on something in a lot of women's lives that is really hard to talk about. Um, It's not talked about a lot, and there's a lot of stigma around the conversation of fertility. So I want to start from the beginning and ask why you decided to specialize in fertility in med school and how that came about. That is a good question, and the honest answer is that I didn't initially. So when I went through medical school, I really loved everything that dealt with patients and the human body. I loved clinical medicine. And I didn't have any female mentors. And this was a time, because it was quite a while ago, where we were getting messages that there were a lot of things you could not do if you wanted to have a family one day, and that this field or that field would be too hard or too demanding. And so I actually got the advice, which turned out not to really be fitting me best, but if I liked clinical medicine and I wanted to be a mom one day, that I should pick something that allowed shift work. And somebody suggested emergency medicine, and I did some rotations, and I liked the variety in the ER, and I actually matched into emergency medicine. And I did a year in emergency medicine, and I I loved my program. I loved the people. I loved the patients. But I quickly realized it was not fulfilling to me. And what I needed as a doctor, what made it worth it to me was getting to know somebody and knowing their story and being able to see them through a problem. And I didn't really know exactly where to pivot, but I started to, for the first time, tune out all of those other messages or all those other voices and listen to my own. And I knew that despite the notoriously bad lifestyle or how hard the training program would be, I wanted to switch into OBGYN. And so I switched into OBGYN immediately with that same knowledge about myself that I wanted to care for somebody through an entire problem. And I'm very nerdy, so I love the hormones and the endocrine system and um, reproductive endocrinology, which is the study of all your reproductive hormones and infertility, drew me right in. There is no better way to know somebody than to walk with them through such a tough journey. And there's an educational component about it, which really suits with something I'm passionate about, which is helping people understand their body and understand their reproductive health and things that 
were really forbidden and stigmatized when I was going through infertility myself and trying to break down those barriers became a secondary passion of mine. So I really feel like I found my way to OBGYN and then doing a reproductive endocrinology fellowship through listening to myself and being okay and honest saying, hey, I made the wrong choice. I need to change and follow this passion to see where it goes. And making those pivots, you know, can be scary, especially when you've put a lot of time into something else. Um, were you ever afraid to make that leap into OBGYN? Did you ever second guess yourself or did you know that it was the right thing to do? <laughs> I mean, I was terrified. It's it's a longer training program. It's It's hard. It's a surgical field. There's a lot of pressure. And There were moments where everybody else told me, oh, these are just intern year blues, like your first year of training. It's hard. You're just overwhelmed. Don't go to something longer and harder. I took my training from a three-year emergency medicine residency. I did one year. Then I started over in OBGYN and did four years. And then I did three extra years of reproductive endocrinology. I was very fearful. It's one of those moments where you have to declare this is what I want to do and leap without a net and just say, hey, I'm going to trust that I'm working as hard as I can towards this goal. And if it doesn't pan out, I'll figure it out afterward. But I had all kinds of doubts. What if no program wants me? What if I'm not any good at it? What if it is really hard? What if it is too hard to have a family? All these things that I had heard were voices in my head. But I realized really quickly that if I had stayed in emergency medicine, a great field, and I respect it a ton, it would be a job to me. And I probably would leave that job at some time because the passion wasn't really there. And what I wanted was to have a job that I was very passionate about, that even though I would have kids one day, that it was okay to take them to daycare because I felt so compelled and driven to do this job and I was so inspired by it. And that's what I really kept inside and tuned into when I had these moments of doubts or these other people giving me doubts because it's really scary to make such a career change, especially in the world of medicine where you have huge debt. It's very hard to do these different things. You have to apply and match to these different programs. But I just kept on going and, you know, now I know it, it worked out the way that it was supposed to. But in some of those moments, it was very challenging and I had to really believe in myself and in those moments. So something that you mentioned earlier was that your fertility journey, that you had gone through a fertility journey yourself. Um, And I know that's something that you've been really vulnerable about with sharing on social media and everything. Do you think that that has helped you connect with your patients in this space? And what gave you the courage to step forward and be so open and be so vulnerable with sharing your own experiences? I had a lot of miscarriages, and I had an ectopic pregnancy, which is a tubal pregnancy, all before, you know, I had my two kids. I have two kids now. And at the time, I was initially an OBGYN resident and then an infertility fellow. I didn't know anybody else going through what I was going through, not a single person. I had nobody talked about it online. There was no Instagram fertility community, and I would scour the internet and go into these weird forums and try to read people's blogs. And I was trying to learn some of the basics, but also that innate human feeling of, am I alone? Is something wrong with me? What do I need to do next? That definitely has changed how I practice and is one of the reasons why I started going on social media when I was a fellow talking about fertility and talking about 
infertility and trying to break the stigma down because it is so isolating and so lonely. And I feel like that only made it worse. I didn't tell even friends and family when I was pregnant. So how do you call somebody and tell them you're miscarrying when they didn't even know you were pregnant? It was a terrible process to go through as an individual. It was not made any better by being in the field. And so I felt strongly that if I, as a professional in this field, felt this way, how does everybody else feel even when they don't have some of the foundation and facts that I have? And that really was a driving force. I I long ago believed that if I was going to be on social media, I wanted to be there in a way that was real, not just a professional account where you saw me in a white coat and I looked like a doctor in an office, but I'm a person you know, I'm, who went through infertility, who had struggles, who made changes, who's now a mom, who's trying to balance things, and that I was always going to keep that personal aspect to the account because I felt like it mattered. It's I'm a person too, and I know what you're going through. Most of my patients now, when they miscarry, I tell them things that my doctor told me that were helpful. If they have a tubal pregnancy and get methotrexate, which is a medication we give that's terrible, I tell them how terrible it was. I tell them about my experience. And I think that breaking down the traditional doctor-patient barriers and forming a relationship as far as where people who go through the same thing is really helpful in both trust and just navigating the isolation that comes with infertility. And I bet you've really been able to connect with your patients in that way where they trust you and they have that connection with you and they know that you are being completely open and honest with them. Because sometimes I think from a patient perspective, some patients walk into any doctor's office, regardless of the specialty, and they feel like they're being like, they feel like they're being treated like a patient not a person. And you being so open, I'm sure opens that door to the humanity of it all. You are treating them like a person rather than just like a client. I I hope so. How I like to think about this is if we rewind the clock and we think about how medicine used to be, you'd have a doctor in town who you knew and everybody trusted because you saw that doctor at all the things in the town and they'd come to your house and they knew other things about you besides just the medical complaint you presented for. For a lot of reasons, medicine's not like that in a lot of ways right now. There's a lot of, you know, corporate medicine and other structure and it's a very different world. And I feel really strongly that I want to make it as much like that as possible. I want to know more about my patients than just their medical problems. I want them to know about me. We're, we're real people. And it's been such a different journey as a physician, having people care for you in the same way that you care for them. And when things are hard in my life, when I post about it, having the support of your patients, I mean, that's incredible. And I think it goes both ways that then they know that, I'm looking out for them in that way, too. And I think it's really taking medicine back to its roots because we are able to show more than what you may see in a short office visit. We're able to connect on a different level as people. And at the foundation, people tend to trust people. If you don't know somebody, it's hard to trust them. And unfortunately, that's just how medicine is in a lot of ways. And I'm trying to change that both by being on social media and engaging with my patients, but also in how we practice medicine here. 
And that's amazing. And something that you've done that I really admire is you've offered the proximity to a lot of women everywhere through your YouTube channel, through TikTok, through all of these different mediums that you're on for education. I think that there is a lot of misinformation out there. Um, there is, <laughs> yes, <laughs> to say the least, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of women who don't even know where to begin. They don't even know how any of this works. And uh, that's how I found you, to be honest is through YouTube. And I've watched your YouTube videos time and time again, and you've opened this wall for people to learn about their own bodies, to learn about the reproductive system and all of this. And I can't help but ask, what made you decide to want to do that? Because you're putting all of this out there for free. I am. I am. Um, Because I really feel like it's a it's a basic right. And as a woman to other women, I think that for too long, we've been disregarded when we've had complaints. We've been not allowed to be educated about our bodies. And I feel like you have to start somewhere in that change. The whole reason why I started social media. So I started with an Instagram in 2016 because I have a sister who's much younger than me. She's about eight years younger. And I was just complaining to her about how I say the same thing every day and very smart very successful women, highly educated people were always surprised by the same thing, that it was so hard to get pregnant, how age impacts fertility, things about their menstrual cycle. They had no idea. And I really said, I said, I wish I could reach more people. And she said, you should go on Instagram. And I didn't even have an Instagram at the time. I, I was like, why would this help? Nobody, nobody talks about medicine. You like share lifestyle photos. But she really pushed me to say, you know, if you can stand on a larger stage, you can reach more people. And that really resonated because in a given day, I only have so many hours I can give to my patients. I give all of myself to them, but there's only so many patients and people you can see and touch and help. But if you are educating people, you can change the trajectory of their life. You can help them make a different decision. Go schedule an appointment understand their choices, feel more confident in their care, go seek a different opinion. And those different branches in the decision tree are so crucial to reproductive success because we only have a limited time and making good use of it and at least feeling like you are educated enough to make those choices is really important to me. I think it's really important to all women. The, the It's obviously all grown, right? There's a YouTube, there's a podcast, and I found that, you know, people absorb information in different ways and a random Instagram post only lasts so long, just like a TikTok is only there for a brief moment in time. And you can really educate people who are interested by putting out 10 minute videos or 20 minute episodes and break down a complex medical topic into a way that people can understand it because everybody's smart enough to understand their body. We've just never been given the opportunity or the platform to do so. It's a huge time investment. I don't know that I'll do it forever. I mean, I, I will not, but I feel still very passionate at this moment that this is just, you know, a basic right that all women deserve. And if it doesn't exist, I'll go create it. And I absolutely love that you feel that way because you are really shining the light on a lot of things that women don't know. Like I mentioned earlier, there's so much misinformation out there. And honestly, I don't even know if it's misinformation, but misconceptions about the way that our bodies work, the way that things work. And I remember one of the first videos I watched of yours, you mentioned that there's only a 20% chance anyways that any woman can conceive every month. They don't teach you that in health class when you're 15. They basically tell you, if you 
do the deed once you're you're gonna get pregnant you're gonna get pregnant and then when you don't you feel like something is wrong with you and watching your videos makes women feel or it's a reminder okay maybe there's not something wrong with me maybe this is happening maybe i do need to get checked out and you give them that first step that initial access that they need to understand themselves better i appreciate you saying that so much one because um It's still, I was going to say a mom and pop shop, but really just a mom shop. I like record them in my bedroom. I edit everything myself and I send it off and it's very, very low tech. I record with my phone, but it, the purpose isn't to have the highest quality videos ever. It's truly just to make educational information and make it accessible to anybody who wants to type. How do I detect ovulation? Are my periods regular? What are my fallopian tubes? When do I need to time intercourse? And these basic questions, not just about trying to conceive, but some of those, but also about your periods and your body and what's good for you and what's bad for you and what's normal and when should you get help? Because if you don't know what's normal, you don't know what's abnormal. And that's something that as a doctor and a specialist, hearing people who've had, I'll use an example of irregular periods for years only have a period a few times. They've been trying to get pregnant all this time. And in my doctor brain, I'm like, you're you're not ovulating. You're not going to get pregnant. But somebody told them they have to wait X amount of time before they go see a fertility doctor, before they go get help. And that's mind boggling because that was just time, precious time wasted. And on the whole, life is short. You know, we make all these great plans and I want everybody to chase their dreams. But at the end of the day, We want to be making the most of the time that we have. And if you are ready to start a family, I know you're ready to start a family like yesterday. And I want you to be able to have the information to do things in the most efficient way possible and to know, hey, something's off. I should go get help. Hey, this isn't working. Hey, it should have happened by now. And be empowered with that education to go make those different choices. And I think sometimes, you know, a lot of women have not instinct or intuition. I don't know if that's the right word, but you can tell sometimes when something's just not right. And to be told to wait a year, you're like, are you serious? Just like, listen to me. It is probably one of the hardest things I see patients cope with is when they brought something up to their primary care or their OB and they were told to wait X amount of time. And then they come to me and they have some major barrier to conception, no sperm, a blocked fallopian tubes, you know, and they were never going to get, they were never going to get pregnant without a treatment like IVF or seeing me. Yet they feel like they just were cast aside and brushed off. And it's another thing that I tell both doctors, you know, and patients, hey, as a patient, if somebody's not listening to you, bring it up again, advocate for yourself or or go get somebody who will listen to you. And to doctors, I say, look, there is no harm in doing a fertility evaluation on somebody earlier. If it's all normal, fantastic. They can try to get pregnant and at least they have the confidence of knowing something huge isn't standing in their way, especially as they get older. And if something is abnormal, you're the savior. You know, you captured that thing really early. You saved them time. You accelerated them getting in to see me. So listening to people is such a hard skill for some, for just for some people, but also in the current medical environment and some practices. 
it's tough. And if you are a patient of one of those practices and you feel put off or you don't have your questions answered, go go somewhere else. I strongly believe that medicine should be a relationship. And if you're not getting what you want, especially in women's health or reproductive health or fertility or OBGYN, just go somewhere else. That's okay. That's allowed. And that is encouraged because this matters. Your reproduction matters. Your reproductive health, your body, your fertility, it matters. And you're allowed to say, this relationship isn't working for me. I'm going to go have a new one. I know that with social media, you can get a lot of um, direct messages and people (laughs) reaching out to you through comments and whatnot. Um, Have you gotten a message or um, a connection with somebody where they were able to tell you, listen, nobody was listening to me or I didn't think that anything was wrong or X, Y, and Z, but I saw your videos, I've seen your posts and I realized I did need to get seen about. And because of you, I was able to be proactive about my situation. Yes, those messages. So I get lots of different types of messages as we all do through <laughs> on social media. Um, but those messages mean so much. And I, I screenshot them and I put them in a little folder because there's days where, you know, you talk about misinformation. And if you're talking about science or the COVID vaccine or birth control pills or PCOS, things that are actually controversial in the world of social media, people are going to hate what you say, even if you're backing it in science, and they're going to come at you and tell you how terrible you are. And so the message is that, hey, I watched this video, and because of that, I went and saw my doctor and found out this, and especially the ones who then send updates, and they're like, and I'm pregnant, or I had this baby, and I wouldn't have made that choice at that moment without that video or that podcast. Those things mean so much to me, and I save those as a reminder of why it's worth showing up for other people because that's really what educating on social media platforms is. I'm showing up because it doesn't benefit me very much. It takes a lot of my time, but it benefits you, and then I benefit when you share with me how it helped you. So those moments really do mean a lot. And I just want to say a huge thank you to anybody who's ever sent one of those messages because it really does remind, I was going to say creators in general, but you know, those of us educating that the time it takes to research, to go through studies, to break those down, to put it in a 10 minute video and try to make it entertaining or at least not bore you to death is worth it if it helps at least one person from that. So those messages are the best. I love that. I can only imagine how many of those you've gotten because I know that you open a lot of women's eyes to things that they weren't educated on and not because I, you know, I don't know why they're not educated on them. It baffles me that a lot of us can grow into our late twenties, our thirties, and we have absolutely no idea how our bodies work, which raises another question for me, especially because you are a mother. Um, what is the best way and your uh, opinion as a physician to educate your children on their bodies as they grow older so they know exactly how things are supposed to work? I think the first thing that's really important, and this is important for a lot of different reasons, but one that's crucial, that's not how I was raised and not how most of my peers were raised, but it's to talk about the body and body parts simply as fact without taboo because things are named vagina, vulva, penis, testicles. Those aren't weird, strange things. Yet, People tend to shy away from them or they make, you know, cutesy names for these different regions of our body. One, we know that that can help prevent actually child abuse and molestation because if a child can describe to you what's going on or can describe to a teacher, that is going to be 
protective against them. But secondarily, you've got to start by making the body normal. We all have normals. Sexuality is normal. Periods are normal. And if you don't talk about something, it automatically becomes stigmatized or taboo. So as kids are little, using their body parts and talking about them, talking about, you know, appropriateness of showing body parts and touching and what you do in private and what you do in public and talking about, we talk about all the time. So my daughter's seven. But we talk well about a uterus and what a uterus does. And, you know, when you get to a certain age, what a period is and what does a period do? And I think by just starting those conversations at a young age, like they're very, very normal and they should be. They're just parts of our body. We're starting to open up a piece of a child's mind that makes it okay to talk about your body, okay to go to your parents with questions about your body, which isn't that what we all want. As we become parents, we want kids who feel comfortable coming to us and talking to us and asking their questions versus seeking out the deep, dark corners of the internet or people in their life who may not have their best interest in heart. So you've got to start by opening up those doors and making that conversation real easy and real normal. And that's the gatekeeper to making the rest of it normal. And then having education as they get old enough to understand what are hormones, what's a normal period, when should you start worrying about getting pregnant? When should you freeze your eggs? Those are conversations that new generations will want introduced to them at younger ages. And I think that social media has been huge in this area because we are seeing women's health creators out there who are OBGYNs who are talking about the body and periods and female health in a way that nobody's ever talked about or taught about in school. Like you said, the stuff you don't learn in sex ed is what people are out there talking about. And I think that that is just going to do a world of good for that generation about advocating for themselves and understanding their bodies better. That's such great advice because I'm as I'm sitting here listening to you talk, I'm thinking about me, a grown adult, talking to my doctor and being embarrassed to bring up certain things and kind of dancing yeah. around it. Because, you know, when I grew up, that was taboo. You didn't talk about your period. You didn't talk about your body parts. You know, like you said, it had funny names and everything. Mm-hmm. And it was like very private and personal. And if you brought it up, that's embarrassing and everything. So you grow up into adulthood and you're afraid to even talk to your doctors about this stuff. Yes. And then you're you're afraid. You feel like there's a stigma to even bring it up to your doctor. And it's all, and none of it was intentional. You know, I don't think our parents were doing it intentionally. It's just they weren't sure or they weren't raised in that way. And so really shifting the gear and, you know, when parents ask me or people ask me, I'm like, it's no different. You know, having period issues is no different than when your thyroid's not working. And nobody goes and puts a bunch of stigma on your thyroid. But if your ovaries aren't working and your period's off or you're having pain, suddenly it has this whole other context that it's hard to discuss. You don't know how to describe it well. You're not even sure what's normal. So I really think that you're right. I see adult women who have a difficult time putting into words what they're experiencing or asking the right questions or being embarrassed. And I mean, I talk about things like, how often are you having sex? How are you tracking ovulation? Tell me about this. And those are intimate questions. And I see why some people put off having the fertility doctor appointment, because that's a very vulnerable experience, especially if it's something you're not accustomed to talking about. Well, and, you know, once you walk in, I mean, I feel like you become very accustomed to it very quick. You have to get really comfortable really fast. (laughs) It's so true. It is um, a different world. And for anybody who is listening, who may have gone through or be going through fertility 
infertility, walking into a fertility doctor's office, you know, not every patient we see has infertility. Some people are saving eggs or embryos for the future. Some people are saving them, freezing them before going through cancer. Some people have genetic diseases they're trying to screen out. We see other people who just need, you know, donor sperm or eggs because they're single, they're in they're in a same-sex relationship. And so not everybody really is coming from an infertility standpoint. And the education that people come in about their bodies is at vastly different areas. I have found that from being on social media and having the podcast and YouTube, my patients that present to me are often much more educated about some of the basics because they've listened to my content. And it's a very, I mean, it's a very enjoyable way to be a physician because they come in asking highly intelligent questions. And, you know, we've already come over the first hump of, you know, why me or this is stigmatized or I don't understand. And we're getting onto the second, you know, acknowledgement of what do we do now? And I think that the most important thing you can do if you're going through infertility or you're going to a fertility doctor is to educate yourself, is to learn more about some of these basics so that you can be that person asking the question, so that you can be in the driver's seat of your care and understanding what your options are versus just passively letting things happen. Because as much as I hate to admit it, it's reality. There's a bunch of different fertility doctors out there. There's a bunch of different practice styles. Not everybody practices the most evidence-based or appropriate medicine. And how, how do you know? Like, how do you know that if you just go to the clinic that's closest to you on Google, how do you know if that person is good or not? How do you know if they're telling you the right thing? The reality is we've got to educate you so that you know what is normal, what's not, what questions to ask, and how to judge these things. And, you know, something that you just brought up is um, people looking on Google and finding the closest doctor to them and just saying, okay, that's the one. Or maybe they go with the first recommendation or referral that they got. And I think it's so important, and I want to know your opinion on this, to make sure that you have a connection with a doctor that you are seeing and to make sure that they are a good fit for you. Because just because they were a good fit for somebody you know doesn't mean that they are the right person to be taking care of you. And it's okay to go through three different doctors before you find the right one that you want to treat you. Absolutely. I see patients who will stay in a fertility clinic with a doctor who they they don't trust, they don't think is listening to them, they don't get questions answered, but they are fearful or unsure or they're worried about the time it will set them back to go get a second opinion. Probably half the patients I see actually come from second opinions. And I think that it is really, really important, especially when we start talking about my field. This is a personal journey. Somebody needs to be asking about your goals. What is your big picture plan? They need to be explaining things along the way and taking the time to answer your questions. And if they are not, you should go somewhere else. It's also more than just the doctor. So I've worked at a couple practices in town and then in July of 2020 with a partner, we founded our own practice here in Austin called Fora Fertility. But the reason why is that you can be the best doctor in the world, but if you work at a clinic that can't support your patients the way you want to, it's actually not going to provide them the best care. And so you need to find a doctor you trust, but you also have got to trust the care team and you've got to know how do they communicate. If they are a call you on the phone clinic to give you results and next steps and plans and you never, if you're like me and you have 48 voicemails and I will never pick up the phone if you call me, like ever do not call, how is that going to work? How are you going to communicate with them? 
Do they send text? Do they have a portal? Do they email? How do they communicate with you? Because this is a relationship. So number one, you've got to find a doctor who you trust who will answer your questions and you are in the car with them. And then number two, you've got to make sure the clinic is going to be a good fit for you. And that doesn't mean it's the closest always. Like if you have to drive 30 extra minutes to get to the clinic, that's going to be the best for you. You go do it and don't even think twice about it. You just need to go where you trust the team and the people who are caring for you. Because at the end of the day, I will not get everybody pregnant. No fertility doctor will. It is the absolute worst part about our job. I'm not a pediatrician who can see a bunch of well child checks and have happy days all the time. Some patients will not achieve success. It is miserable and heartbreaking, and we don't always know who they are. I don't have a crystal ball to see the future. But what I can control is that you knew why we made the choices we made along the way. You were educated enough to have a say-so in your care. And you feel confident we made the choice that was right at the moment. So that whatever happens, we're looking back, we can say, we did the best we could with what we had. And this is the result. And we're going to move on from it. And if you have doubts and you look back, Would another doctor have done something different? I never trusted that doctor. I never got my questions answered. I don't know why we did those things. That's not the place you want to be in if you're ending up in the group of patients who fertility treatment was not successful for. And so I think that to me, that's the, you know, floor. The lowest end is that you have a team that you can communicate with. And if you don't have that, schedule another appointment, send your records, go meet somebody else. Not a question asked. That's such great advice, Dr. Crawford. And, you know, I'm really glad that I asked you that question because I think a lot of people just go with the first opinion. They go with the first doctor. They go with the first person they see. And that is a relationship. And, you know, it's okay to get a second opinion if you just don't feel like it's a good fit for you. Um, Honestly, I've loved talking to you because not only do you provide hope for a lot of women and you're in a field that really impacts, you know, the lives of families significantly like huge but you also have opened these doors like we talked about to educating women everywhere expanding your reach from your office to the world and teaching women about their bodies from their periods to their fertility and that is so amazing so i know that there are going to be a lot of women listening to this podcast who are going to want to learn more from you and get to know you a little bit better um so where can they do those things Thank you so much. It's been so fun to be here. So I am on Instagram and TikTok at Natalie Crawford, MD. That's the name of the YouTube channel also. So if you just type in Natalie Crawford, MD, you will get all of my videos to a variety of different topics. The podcast is called As a Woman. And as of late, it has like 1.5 million downloads, which still just blows my mind that that many people have listened to fertility educational topics. It makes me super proud. And then I'm at Fora, F-O-R-A, Fora Fertility. If you are in Texas and you'd like to become a patient, feel free to reach out. Well, thank you so much for joining us on here today. It's really been a pleasure talking to you. This is an interview that I've wanted to do for a long time. So I'm so glad that we had the chance to have you here on Success Stories. Thank you so much, Madison. All right. We'll see you soon. This has been Success Stories with Madison Piper. If you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe, drop a review, and tell your friends. If you'd like to hear more shows like this one, go to success.com slash podcasts.